Hi guys, I'm Brad Montgomery and welcome to The Breakdown. And here we take a look at different topics in science, psychology, and investing. Today we're talking about beekeeping as a business and a hobby. And we have a viewer question about this, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, Brad, we do. This is from Liani, one of our producers. And she asked, what are the best flowers to help native bees like the bumblebee? That is a good question. And I'm here with the bee man, Scott Anderson. And Scott, you know, we're not just talking honeybees this morning, although we're going to really dive in to that area. There's a lot to learn as far as safety and, and even honey production and hive keeping. Mm -hmm. But about the native bees. Well, you know, they say El Paso is sort of like the Amazon rainforest, believe it or not, as far as bees go. We have so many different kinds that a lot of people never even notice. Tiny, teeny little ones that live in the ground or they'll burrow into a soft yucca stalk or a sotol stem and stalk. And so they utilize all kinds of different resources. We have the bumblebees, those big black shiny bees are uh, um, uh, carpenter bees and they'll make a larger hole in soft wood. Yes. But they're like single moms. They don't raise a great big family, a huge uh, uh, hive of thousands. They'll provision a nest with it, enough food to raise a few. And also the leafcutter bees that are somewhat annoying to gardeners. I've right? seen those little, little half leaves yeah, cut they'll out. They'll cut out a little half moon out of your rose bush uh, leaf. Uh, they won't really harm those plants. Okay. They, there's plenty of leaves left. And what they'll do is amazing. Uh, all these bees have their own methods and their own programming. They don't have to go to school, which is sort of okay if you tell that to a third grader. Right. But they have to work every day too. So that's uh, yeah. the drawback. But they'll provision uh, a little nest by making a cone out of that cutout leaf, okay. provisioning it with some pollen they collect, lay an egg on it, and then do that again and stack them up in the in the cavity they created. Very, very interesting. Okay, now we've got a lot to talk about here because uh, beehive, beekeeping, mm -hmm. what happens when you run into bees? We're going to get into all this because a lot of people do have kind of general questions about bees and I don't have all the answers and a lot of people <laughs> don't have a lot of the answers. So we're going to learn a lot today. First of all, what's it like to keep an actual beehive? You know, you, you hear a little bit more about it, mm -hmm. kind of with the native honey and all that. What, what is it like to have a hive of your own? It's fascinating, Brad. Okay. <laughs> That's why I never left it over the many years I've been uh, raising bees, cultivating bees, and I moved here from Southern Arizona, and I didn't have bees for about a year. Okay. And I just wasn't right. And so I finally, a, a friend who had a little bit more property, let me put several on her place. And then now I have a couple of hives in my backyard too, because they don't bother. Uh, it's all right to have them in an urban setting as long as... They're not flying in uh, across the sidewalk or something. If okay. you have them close to a trafficked area, uh, you want to have some kind of a visual barrier so they have to go up and over uh, the head. You don't because they usually enter near the ground. You don't want to traffic uh, their flight path right get in the way where people are going to be right. uh, getting in their way because they'll bump into an accident. And, people freak yeah. out. Uh huh. So what what are some of the you know you mentioned. You know your friend, where you, where she, you're able able to put a few more hives on her property. Uh -huh. What what are some of the basic things you need to keep bees? Like if somebody wanted to actually you know keep okay. a hive and get a little honey. Well, you can get started, and it's a lot less expensive than being a golfer or an equestrian, <laughs> okay. or something like that, because you have some initial investments in safety equipment. For one, no matter what you see on YouTube, 
you always protect your face. Okay. And as you get a few stings now and then, sort of like a carpenter will get a splinter now and then, or a secretary will get a paper cut now and then, it's not a big deal. And you develop a resistance to it. It'll always hurt initially a little bit, okay. but then you don't get that follow-on uh, soreness, swelling or, uh, swelling or itching uh, after time. In fact, after you uh, are raising bees for a while, you start working without gloves, you'll get a sting on the finger, then you forget where it's done you. Oh. So... Uh, that's just one thing. Okay, so you get some basic safety equipment. I would start off with a ventilated jacket. It's nice to have because you can uh, get the breeze coming through. You're still protected. It has two layers of open weave material and some gloves. Uh, the long beekeeping gloves to get started. And then the, the hive itself, the hive equipment is usually a wooden box. There are two basic kinds. There's standard equipment called the Langstroth hive which the stack of boxes we're all familiar with. Right. They enter on the, above the bottom board, and then they go up in there and organize their their efforts in the dark. Okay. And they do this amazing engineering, architecture, engineering, chemical engineering, social engineering, you name it, engineering, they, they've got it figured because they've been working on it for millions of years. You mentioned in the dark. Is that when they do? They work in the dark. They're cavity dwellers. Okay, okay. okay. So they don't require light to uh, build their... so they get in there and they don't need... Okay, uh -huh. interesting. What, what they want is a, is a space that's large enough, uh, so many liters of volume, and then a restricted entrance. And if the entrance is a little bit too big, they will narrow it down with the propolis that they, they gather. It's like their caulking compound. Okay. And the... Go ahead. Well, real real quick pivot mm -hmm. question. So you mentioned the basic safety equipment. Uh -huh. You mentioned the box. Uh -huh. I want to pivot just really quickly because you mentioned also some of these YouTube videos. And, and I've seen some of these too. My daughter showed me one. Why is it that some people uh -huh. can just handle the bees? And I know they get a couple of stings as well. Yeah. But they can, you know, they'll be the queen surrounded and they all we need to remove these. So they take a handful of bees here and set them down and take another handful of bees. <laughs> While you, is it more or most beekeepers wear the suit and don't handle them without gloves? Or why is you're that? Getting, and how often do you people. see that? Well, the only place that can really damage you is on the actual eye. Okay. Okay. We want to protect your face. Also, instinctively, they're attracted towards the carbon dioxide in an animal's breath. Okay. We are animals, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so they, they'll be attracted to your face, and they'll most likely sting you there. And that's where it hurts the most also. Okay. Uh, if you want to watch a cool video, uh, Google honey badger. Okay. And for, for lunch, they might chase a cobra up a tree and chase it and kill it and eat it. Right. Okay, and then they they have an interesting uh, symbiotic relationship with a little bird that helps them locate a beehive. They'll go in there, tear it up, and always leave a, a nice comb with the larva for the bird ah, off to the side. Right. Uh, but yeah, honey. So they get the honey, are, and then the, the, the birds the, get the larva. Well, they might eat the larva too. Oh, larva oh, yeah. are very nutritious, and there's the pollen. Uh, pollen is a very nutritious food. Uh, it's one of the the pro hive products. So so then so then with the, with the handling though. Can 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 you have you yes. taken a handful of bees? Yes, I have. Okay, but it's not your preference. You'd rather be suited up. What I usually do is try not to pick them up by the handful. Although I do re removals for the electric company. Okay. And we scoop them up. I usually scoop them up with a piece of cardboard or something okay. instead of okay. just a hand. Okay. <laughs> you know, because if you compress their body, they will sting you. Ah. Uh, right? Okay. Okay. But if with 
a lot of technique and tenderness, you can do some of those things, especially if the if the camera is running, right? Right, good point. But that blonde girl from somewhere in Texas that, I've seen that. that goes up underneath and she's, no, don't do it that way. <laughs> Not recommended. Safety first, safety first. Very good. Okay, now, as far as uh, having it for a hobby, you don't have to do a whole lot. It's advisable to open up the hive and examine at least part of the frames every month or so or three weeks or so. There are problems they can run into. The queen can fail. Um, There are some diseases that can crop up. There's a few parasites they can get. And so there's actions you can take for those things. But if you just let it go and you see them coming in and out, that's really a great pleasure too, just to just to watch them. So so and actually, that was kind of one of the things I wanted to lead into was maintenance. Mm-hmm. So you want to check on them about every one to three months or so. But as yeah. long as you said, as long as you see them going and going in and out, you're generally okay. Is yeah. there anything else that you have to keep an eye out for as far as like you know maintaining the box or you just need to make sure it's upright? Do you need cold uh-huh. protection? Do you need rain protection? Yes, and we found out a couple of weeks ago you needed heat protection. Ah, okay. Because usually you think about insulation for a cold, but we had some problems with that excessive heat we had. Right. Um, some of my my hives weren't quite ready for that. There's two basic types, and one I've been using more lately is the top bar hive words top bar and it's a more natural more organic type of beekeeping because you don't give them any prepared sheets of stamped with the pattern coated with beeswax that came from somewhere uh, with a wooden frame and that's what you would stack 10 of those wooden frames in each box then when they fill that up pretty much you give them another box basically the bottom two boxes is for them as long as they have food in there sufficient food um, then the third box could be harvested and that'll give you about four gallons of honey when they fill it up. And how, how long does it take for them to fill that up? Well, that depends. It varies. That's okay. one of my standard answers. Okay. It varies. Because if you've got a strong colony with a lot of population, say 30,000 to 40,000 workers, okay. one queen, and then maybe a 100 or 200 drones, which are not exactly males of the species, they are more like a sperm that can fly okay. because they have half the genetic complement of the of the uh, queen or the workers. Okay. Okay. And now here's here's my my uh, wisdom about us, okay. about you and me, Brad. Okay. Okay. The drones only have 16 chromosomes instead of the 32 the workers have. That's now in humans. The sex determinant chromosome, the only one we have different from the females, is the XX or XY. What does a Y look like but an X that's missing something? Okay, and that's why we're like this. So what? So the <laughs> the drone, right? Yeah, that's right. So the drones. That's my excuse. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so the drones, though, <laughs> the drones, they can't reproduce. Is that correct? They can mate with a queen. They can mate. Yeah. Even they though they have half the chromosomes. Right. That's still their can... purpose. So, okay. So that's... So the queen, when she gets to be about five days old, she's strong enough to fly. She'll go out and find a congregation area in midair where the drones go and hang out. Okay. She'll look for that. And she'll mate several times and she'll have enough sperm for her lifetime. Now, to, what about... To make a million worker bees. So what about... Are, and are the drones separate from the worker bees? Because the, do the worker bees have full, basically, chromosomes? Or, or yeah. Or did they... the, the worker bees have 32. So she can mate with the drones and she can mate with the workers? No. Just the drones? The workers are females. 
The workers, the workers are, females. are young females, like little girls. They're not product, reproductive. Okay. The reason the difference between a queen and a worker is the queen is selected. We don't know how exactly. Okay. But several cells will be selected, and when that larva first hatches from the egg, the workers will start feeding it a bee milk called royal jelly that they manufacture in a gland, and they will feed the queen that, and it turns her into a reproductive. So she she, she's a special reproductive develop, one. Yeah. The workers are the females. The drones are the males. Yeah, sort of. They're what passes for the males. They're what passes well, for the Well, they're males. more like us also. They're kind of a luxury item. Okay. A weak colony won't raise any drones. Oh, interesting. Or they're a stressed colony will tear down drone cells. Okay. And well, the, here's the good thing: the drones don't have to work. They don't guard the hive. They don't collect food. They don't clean up after themselves. Right. And then, but when cold weather comes around and the food's not coming in, they have to leave the hive and go oh, die out. They're there. first to go. Yeah, they're the first to go. Interesting. They 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 are now no longer needed. I didn't realize your society was that complex. Oh yeah, that's what that's really. And then the the uh, structure that they can make depends upon the space they're in. Okay. I've been removing bees for people, and that's where I've made more money than for selling honey, even though I charge a reasonable fee. I'm not looking for a lot of uh, removal jobs right now. Right. But the Paseo del Norte Beekeepers Association has members that would like to increase their numbers. They'd be happy. We'll mention that again later. But. I've seen them underneath a chicken coop where they only had an inch and a half of height, but they had lots of room, and they made a nest that looked more like a city map. Oh, wow. Just all these streets and avenues, and they had it all figured out. Or take them out from a long, narrow space, like the concrete block wall cells, right. and just reel it in, and they've made it three inches wide, but four feet long. Skyscraper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. And, so it's, and then in the hollow tree kind of thing, they'll keep working that hollow up until this, they just run out of room. But the top bar hive functions because you build it with the sloping sides, which mimics their sacred geometry of the hexagonal cell, okay. 120 ah. degree internal angle. Okay. And so they don't attach the honeycomb to the wall to the box as they would in a vertical box. And they have, they have their specifications. If it's bigger than three-eighths of an inch of space, put a honeycomb in there. Okay. If it's smaller than three-eighths of an inch of a space, you better block it up with uh, propolis. If it's just that much, we'll leave it alone. We'll walk through there. Okay. So they'll get down to the sloping sides of the top bar hive, leave, leave their bee space, and you can lift out from the top bar, lift out a trapezoid of fully built... Right. Honey or brood comb, brood being where they're raising the babies. And how do you know, how do you know when to lift that out as far as honey? Do you kind of give it like a little bit of a weight test? And no, it's you time can lift to come it out, out and check it, see how they're coming. Okay. See how they're coming. Oh, they're just starting to build this one. Oh, this, they're starting to fill this one. And it what? doesn't bother them? No. Okay. You puff a little smoke. The smoke calms them. Actually, it kind of confuses them. Their alarm signal is a pheromone they can emit. It smells like ripe bananas. Okay. So if you smell bananas while you're working through your bees, you pick up the smoker and puff a little more smoke. Ah, uh, okay. okay. You don't have to drown them in smoke, just just enough to just kind light. of tell. They smell through their antennas, so you kind of deaden that cell. And what does the smoke do? What well, does it do? It does two things. Okay. It keeps them from being able to smell the alarm signal, which uh, is the alarm pheromone. Okay. And it puts them onto a different set of programming. And since they don't have a fire department, okay, they may have to abandon their nest if fire approaches. Oh. So they will eat honey. They will fill up their social stomach, their honey-carrying stomach, okay. 
which is separate from the one they use for their own nutrition. Okay. In case they have to abandon the nest. Ah, uh, okay. And then after, after uh, they fill that up, they're less likely to sting. Okay. As mostly the That's older ones okay. that that would defend the hive against you. Now they're uh, not on burglar duty anymore. Right, right. So that's <laughs> that's how that works. I've See, seen it done. I never yeah. really understood how it actually how it actually worked. <laughs> there, there was another thing I wanted to ask you as well, because because you talked about and th this is the comparison I wanted to make mm -hmm. because when you look at keeping a hive, okay, compared to something as far as like a lot of people can relate to, mm -hmm. time wise, energy wise, cost wise. How much, especially time-wise, energy-wise, how does it uh, compare to like a cat or a dog? Much, much less. Much less even than a cat oh, yeah. or a dog. Because they require daily maintenance. Uh, but the beehive, they, they're going out, and you can plant nice flowers for them, sure, and they will enjoy them in your garden. Right. But they need a lot more than that. Okay. So they'll be going out into the desert and harvesting from whatever's out there right. throughout the seasons. They're both specialists and generalists. And any one foraging trip they'll only visit one type of flower okay that's why they're such good pollinators because they'll go from one mesquite flower to the another mesquite flower that day or that trip when those fade out and something else is blooming they're loyal to that and so that they, they transfer oh, okay. pollen in that way that's interesting um i know some of the palm trees have their flower stalks oh those they're huge with... and they load up with yeah, these yeah. yeah yeah they make a lot of seeds too mexican palm but then over the year, they, they go through different uh, types of flowers. But on any one trip, they only visit one. And okay, well, so back up. So yeah. you got your initial expense for your safety equipment. Okay. Let's call it $200 more or less. Your smoker, your hive tool, uh, your jacket and gloves. Okay. Then you could go with just a veil, but I would recommend the, the jacket. Okay. You don't need the full. So usually they don't bother your uh, lower part. And then um, once you learn to be delicate and not smash them by accident, okay. which also releases that alarm pheromone if right. you squish one, here comes Great. all the smells they've got, which that's not the only pheromone odor they can communicate with. Okay. okay. And once you learn to be careful with them, you know, you can use less and less smoke, less and less protection, but you always cover your face. Okay. Then... Um, so you have a couple hundred dollars initial tools and equipment, and then another couple of hundred dollars to start your hive to buy the equipment, or you could get a plan and build your own top bar hive for uh, materials cost of about 75 or $80. Okay. If you have a you know, a little bit of a wood shop, if you have right. a table saw. saw yeah. yeah. And so then after that, it's just if you wanna have a second beehive, you got another expense there. But, Usually it's nice to have two in case one has a queen problem. You can transfer some brood, which is larva, pupa. I did not say pupa. I never say it ever. Pupa. When I'm an elementary school teacher, I always tell the children, you notice I said pupa. There you go. Not pupa. I always heard pupa. That's it. That's right. You're correct. <laughs> Maybe elementary school kids get can, that wrong. <laughs> you can transfer some pupa to another hive to keep them going, yeah. to keep them from failing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can raise their own queen. Okay. If they sense that that the the uh, queen substance, the queen emits a, a chemical with a name about that long, right. we call it queen substance, and they they notice that. And they, they can know if she's nearby or not. 
or if she's in good condition or not. Okay. So if she's missing or aging out, they'll raise another one. Interesting. And if they also, if they get lack of queen substance because they're overpopulated, they'll raise some queen cells and swarm and half the population will leave, oh, start a new colony. That's it. how they reproduce the colony. They're a super organism. Yeah. That's uh, one organism yeah, made functions. up of lots of little organisms, mm -hmm. like a society. The first book of understanding them is in French called the Feminine Monarchy, but they have a society. Um, so that's how a lot of people will end up with a cluster of bees hanging on a tree branch or something or stuck to the to the wall. Um, that's a swarm. And when they set up shop and they have honeycomb built, then that's a colony, okay, or a hive. Uh, we call them colonies. It's more, it's more correct. So, well, so to pivot off of, mm -hmm. yeah, you you mentioned you can have one, and when it's time, and it can overpopulate, so whatever it knows to kind of break off and start a new colony. Uh -huh. So, how many in a, like in a residential area? How many could you potentially have? How many colonies? How many or hives colonies? Could, yeah. Uh, you, it'd be okay to have three or four. Okay. I don't believe there's any ordinance against them, but like I say, have the screening so that they, they don't fly right into uh, traffic. And also set up right from the beginning, set up a nice water source for them that they can get water, like a, a dish that fills, that has gravel in it so they can walk on it and not drown in the water. Right. They can, right. They can land on it and get there uh, so that the neighbor's dog bowl doesn't always start getting because they'll focus in on something that works for them right and train the that. next you know generation you know, this is where we get water right. so if you start them right from the beginning with something that's permanent that's reliable right. for them right right uh they're creatures of habit but they also are good problem solvers okay yeah now how much how many hives Let's say you wanted to, let's say you like the honey uh -huh. and, and like we've talked about native honey is really popular. It's been really popular. Mm -hmm. How many hives would you need to have to make, uh, make it a little profitable for you? Once again, it varies. It varies if on you, production. If you uh, have a decent rainy season, okay. you know, that helps a lot. Now we're in kind of a marginal area here being in a dry desert area, but sometimes, uh, some of these desert plants do quite nicely. Okay. And especially if you're a little bit higher up on the foothills where the sotol blooms, the desert candle yeah. or desert spoon, um, oh, yeah, yeah. like uh, going up Trans Mountain, you see a lot of them. That makes a dark black honey. It's almost like uh, cane syrup or molasses. Oh, wow. Very rich. And some people just love it. Like they love dark red wine. Right, you know? right. Uh, but the varietals of the different flowers, it's... Uh, my my friend who's relatively new just reported back that his honey that he just extracted tastes just delicious okay. uh-huh yeah it's different depending upon the flower source i've heard that too yeah yeah um and then of course the local honey being good for allergies is kind of common wisdom and it's true it's true uh the other people that the other thing that people don't usually know is that the bee venom is not really bad for you, okay. especially if you have an arthritic joint. Like I had a childhood injury and my wrist got sore 20 years later and I started catching bees. It's a technique to catch them without getting the medication right on your fingertip. <laughs> right. But you sting. have to catch them by both sets of wings and put it, put it there to sting me. And it hurts for a moment. Then you get kind of a little buzz yeah. off of it. And it actually helps your arthritis. That's really interesting. Yeah. 
Wow. It's that's a an accepted medical treatment. It's not all that popular yet. Right. My yeah. mom says she'd just keep the arthritis things anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. And so now, since we're on honey, mm-hmm. what is the process of gathering it? Okay. That, and I'm curious about that <laughs> to kind of separate the bees away from it. They don't get annoyed. <laughs> You're taking their honey. Like, how does that work? They don't quite get what you're doing okay that help that helps <laughs> that helps and there's a in, in the stack boxes yep. there's a chemical uh, supplements you can buy called bee robber or something bee go and you can squirt some on a piece of wood and set it on top of the, that third you take off the lid set this kind of stinky stuff okay. on top and they'll retreat from it uh, okay and then you can just take that whole box off got it and run off with it and okay. get the lid back. And then a lot of the extra population will end up on the front porch saying, didn't we have more room than this? <laughs> right. you know? Then you give them back the end. Now that's the standard equipment where you would shave off with a scratch off or with an yeah. electrically heated knife, cut off the cappings and spin the honey out in a centrifugal extractor like a barrel with a spinner inside. Okay. Uh, that's that's the standard method, and then you give them back the empty container to fill back up for you. See, that's better for us. Right. The top bar hive, you would end up harvesting the honey and wax at the same time because you can't spin it out. Right. They're just free hanging wax combs, and and what you would do then is crush and strain. You would just squeeze the honey oh, out, which is out. pretty fun. Can you? And I and I have no <laughs> idea, but can you eat some of the honeycomb? Oh yeah. Is it? Does it have any like benefits or is it just kind of wax holding the honey? Well, you can digest the wax. Okay. Okay. And uh, what I suggest when people ask me for honeycomb, I said, look, get a chunk in your mouth, squeeze out the honey and throw out the wax. Got it. Now, if you wanted to spread that honeycomb on toast or something, so you would kind of swallow it. But I don't want you getting a piece Too of wax, wax stuck in your throat. God, it makes okay. sense. Now, the pollen is is really good uh, food in, in, in a precedent. Reagan just adored pollen. He oh, was famous for he was eating bee pollen all the time. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, um, the, those are the, the main things. Also, the propolis, their caulking compound, which they gather from plants, is a very good, strong antibiotic. Wow. And they will coat, they kind of varnish the inside of their, of their box with it to sanitize the honey. Yeah, for that reason. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Okay, and so now, and and we were talking about basically residential area, max, Mm -hmm. maybe about three, four hives. Then after that, you want to get to a more open area. Uh So where can people go to kind of learn more Ah. about uh, beekeeping if they might be interested or Mm -hmm. they can go check out some hives, see if they're interested? Well, I'll tell you. Okay. It's nice of you to ask Right. (laughs) I'm a member of the Paseo del Norte Beekeepers Association. Okay. And we're affiliated with the New Mexico Beekeepers Association. So if you join the club, you automatically join both. We have meetings one month in El Paso um, at the uh, Mustard Seed Cafe, which is on Sunset. It's part of that church complex that's just up Sunset, just past Ardovinos and that that little shopping center there. And uh, we have one month there. And then the other month is in Las Cruces. Okay. Um, so we'd be happy to teach you. There's 
people like me who are just enthusiastic about the whole thing that would be happy to talk to you and and walk you through talk you through some some things and we usually have a presentation that uh, is informative and at uh, kind of a simple level so the the early people you know we're gathering a lot of new members nice seems like yeah. every month there's one or two new people nice. sometimes families sometimes people that are a little bit older and changing careers maybe one fellow was a truck driver and now he's going to settle down more so he, he wanted to start um so it's uh it's coming back it used it got to the point where the family farms kind of disappeared and the big corporations kind of gobbled up all the family farms they planted the same crop for 10,000 acres, you know, exactly the same genetically identical plants, which is kind of scary because if something can affect one, yeah, they'll wipe them out. Yeah. And But it used to be like, oh, yeah, that you would have a little bit of everything on your family farm, right. including a beehive out in the back and a cow, whatever. And then it got away from that. But now people are coming back to it. And they're getting more uh, involved with nature they're getting a little bit less enthralled with the city life. They want to. They want to get in touch with nature, and you get a lot of street cred too. If you mention to somebody that you have that as a hobby, they, oh, that is so cool. Man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's unique. It definitely, yeah. <laughs> but now, when you open up, when you open up the hive, and start examining frames, you know, you learn what to look for. Okay. When I first started, I didn't know what I was seeing. This is all this color and movement. But my mentor showed me through, okay, okay, well, there's the, the open larva, the open brood, we call it. Then once they get big enough, they've, they've been fed by their workers, the nurse bees. As they go through the different job descriptions, they, they move through early on as nursing. And then they'll cover them over with a breathable capping to give the privacy for it to pupate. Okay. And then uh, they'll emerge and start the life of work. But then they have usually an arch of honey right around the brood, and then some pollen in there to because that's their protein food. Okay. Um, the honey is more for heating the home, and for the flight energy. Okay. Energy for flying. They heat the hive during during cold weather by clustering up together, rotating out, eating some honey, and coming in and doing aerobics. Yeah. Okay. They okay. they can use their flight muscles without actually flying inside mm -hmm. there, and they they generate heat by by activating those muscles. And they keep the center of the colony about 93 degrees all winter. Wow. And the queen will be laying a few eggs in there just to keep things moving. Okay. But then in spring when the food starts coming in, the workers will start urging mom, go, okay, mom, get with the program here. Yeah, and they'll up. take her. And a good queen will lay a pattern, which is kind of a spiral. She'll start in the center of the hive and work her way out and out and out and then move to another comb. And when you see a good queen's activity, the brood pattern looks like a bull, bullseye with different ages of brood. Oh, that's kind of rotating. cool, spiraling out. That's kind There's of There's so many things that are kind of wow. cool. And then, like, if you read about something and you see it in action, you go, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, you make a connection, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you want, there's something you want to talk about, and kind of it was kind of a safety issue. Oh, yeah. And it was what to do if you encounter basically feral, not managed bees, and uh -huh. what do you, how do you handle that? Well, the, the uh, any bee colony will defend itself some more than others we usually try to uh, purchase bees from breeders who select for cleanliness and productivity but also for gentleness okay. gentleness means less inclined to sting right okay but if you bump in like say you're hiking 
or you're trimming your hedges or whatever, and you bump into a, a colony, they'll start defending that colony by, first, they usually give you a warning. One will buzz in front of your face back and forth and try to back you up. And they're saying, please leave the area. Okay. If they touch you, they're saying, we really mean it. We need you gone. Wow. Now, that's when you want to leave. When they start bumping into you. Or even when they just start warning you off and look around, see if you can know where they are. Right. If you're not sure, pick a good direction to go, like back to the car, back to the uh, road, okay, into the house. Mm -hmm. And even if some follow you, they'll go to the windows and go up and down the windows. Mm -hmm. They kind of lose interest you in you once you get indoors mm -hmm. or even in the car. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to stand there and fight with them because you're outnumbered, okay? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to try to eradicate a colony by waving a burning rag under them or, or spraying right. them with water. You can get in trouble with that, like that. Okay. So, um, the, and you definitely want to breathe through your nose. Okay. Because if they're flying towards your face and you're yelling or breathing heavily, you could inhale one okay. and choke on it. Okay. Okay. Wow. Now, um, leave the area. That's what they want. And then figure out what to do. Uh, call somebody to come and try to recover it, do a live recovery. A free-hanging swarm, which is just a cluster of bees, uh, is what a beekeeper would rather get because they're ready. They've got the age distribution to make wax. Uh, they've got a queen in there. Um, that uh, is ideal. And just put them in a box. They just go to work. Okay. They just get with the program. Now, a live removal where they've already built combs in a in a cavity like in a wall space an uninsulated wall or under a shed or something that's a little bit more involved and and it's a lot more work mm -hmm. to accomplish that and it's also uh maybe not quite as good percentage of success right. because you're tearing up their whole city right you know and if if you uh lose the queen in the process or something things can go wrong but uh, I've, I've done quite a few of those and with a fair percentage of success, yeah. All right, well, thank you very much. B-Man, <laughs> Scott Anderson, for joining us. Remember, Learned a lot. Paseo del Norte Beekeepers Association, they can uh, give you all the information you need. Sounds good, check all out right. their website. Thanks a lot, Brad. Nice.